You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. join me. I hope you take your Bibles and read with me or your phones or devices, whatever, to uh, get into the Word of God. Uh, I want to address uh, some issues today uh, on the theme of leadership, spiritual leadership to be exact. And we're going to be in uh, the text of Acts chapter 18 in our continuing study on Mission 2020. Uh, We uh, left off last week with chapter 17. Paul had been uh, in that great city of Athens uh, the, the culture shock of Athens, you know, this uh, highbrow kind of deep uh, uh, knowledge thinking crowd, uh, debates and discussions over all kinds of things. And so there was some intrigue about what Paul had to believe, and he was escorted into the Areopagus, this, this uh, Mars Hill uh, uh, facility where he was uh, asked questions and allowed to really uh, uh, say his own piece. And so he did. He preached a sermon on uh, much about God and the, the whole basis of creation and God the Creator and so on, and went through all of that with them. Uh, as we know, there was not a great deal of, uh, of reaction from what Paul had to share. Uh, when he uh, mentioned resurrection, they turned him off, they uh, sent him out, and they were done listening, uh, basically. Uh, there were a few converts in Athens, but you know, not not a great deal, and so Uh, Paul left Athens, and we're going to pick up the story with him coming into the city of Corinth, where now he's going to step into a different culture shock. It's going to be an immoral culture shock as he uh, walks into a city that is well known uh, in the region for uh, being a very immoral city, Uh, 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 so much going on in Corinth. But uh, at nighttime, for instance, there are a thousand plus prostitutes uh, working the city primarily uh, for the, the, the goddess uh, uh, who uh, has a temple there and uh, to do uh, uh, service for her, they would give their, sell their bodies. And so there was a lot of that going on, just a, a, a great deal of, of adultery and fornication and immorality that way. But there was also uh, a great deal of other sins that were rampant in Corinth that Paul had to face and confront uh, homosexual, homosexuality was rampant in that city. Uh, also, the abuse of children was rampant in that city. And so there was much going on that uh, so differentiated it from Athens, but yet uh, a completely another culture shock, if you will. Large cities, uh, large metropolitan cities, some can have that impact of, of just, uh, you know, if you're from a rural area, if you're from an area like this and you go into downtown Cleveland, there's such a unique difference Uh, in lifestyle, and it can be very intimidating. And and for uh, someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, to step into Corinth was uh, extremely intimidating for Paul, especially having left uh, Athens, where he was not well accepted even there. Uh, Matter of fact, probably mocked, made fun of. So uh, Paul's already carrying some some issues as he's journeying through uh, now into Corinth, 
And, and the other thing to note here is that Paul is still alone. Uh, he left uh, 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 he left uh, Titus and Timothy in Berea, uh, and he's went to Athens by himself. Now he's come to Corinth. He's still without his team. And uh, when you're dealing with uh, you know things that are new and you've got some pressure on you to begin with, and when you're by yourself, that that's a that's a big deal. Uh, and uh, so you know obviously he was experiencing all this, taking it in. Uh, I would make mention that. Uh, Paul referred to uh, the sins of of what he saw in Corinth when he wrote his letter to the Roman believers. In chapter 1 of Romans, uh, Paul makes some statements that I think reflect what he was uh, seeing from the culture around him as he walked into Corinth. Let me just review for you a couple of things that uh, he wrote in chapter 1. And... uh, uh, they're, they're, they're tough things to even think about, but here's what he said in verse 28. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And he's talking about those who have rejected the truth and are living, uh, living according to the lie. We talked about last week, the, the, the way, the, the wide way of destruction. That, that's the world. And so uh, he said, uh, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, uh, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. At the end of that section, in verse 32, he says this, referring to uh, you know, anyone who's uh, rejected God. He says, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And the referencing here certainly is the idea that anyone who has any sort of knowledge of God, and he worked through all that whole, that whole system in the first chapter, that Everyone has some idea of who God is, even if they haven't heard the gospel. Uh, There's a moral code that's imprinted on all of us. And he's just saying that in this case, Corinth, as many other places, had just allowed uh, the flesh to dictate and and other gods again, and especially this idea of of a very fleshly uh, uh, goddess of Aphrodite who who, uh, was over all of fertility and so on. And there were other gods there as well, but... They were consumed with this. Uh, Now, the first thing that we learn uh, in our text about uh, Paul coming to Corinth is that he met two people, Aquila and Priscilla, two people that came uh, basically from Rome, uh, Jews from Rome now coming into Corinth. Uh, They were uh, selling, uh, they were tent makers, so they were selling in the marketplace. Paul met them, uh, and and we can take from the text here that it says at the end of verse 2, he came to them. Uh, and, and we understand from the text that Paul probably uh, approached them about uh, combining resources. Paul was a tent maker. This way he could help them make money. And uh, he evidently stayed with them, we're told in the, in the text. Uh, so uh, while he was there earning a living to uh, pay his way, uh, room and board with uh, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, we, we read in verse 4 that uh, Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So he had some impact uh, in the Sabbath. Uh, uh, sorry, on the Sabbath with the Jews. We don't know how to what degree of impact he had. 
but we could assume that perhaps during this time of uh, being uh, uh, on Sabbath weekends with the Jews in the synagogue and, and living with uh, two uh, Jews, Aquila and Priscilla, that they came to Christ during this time, most likely. Uh, uh, there's no uh, necessary reason to even say that. You can almost assume that. Can you imagine having uh, Apostle Paul uh, not knowing maybe exactly who he was, but inviting him into your home to, uh, to be a, a renter in your house, and you have the Apostle Paul. I mean, you've got somebody who's going to you know, basically be on your case. He's talking about Judaism. He's talking about the law. He's talking about uh, this new thing called grace. And I'm sure that as they heard him speaking, even in their home and and then in the marketplace, watching him and listening to him, they were converted in this process somewhere along the way. But the thing I want to focus on is coming back to this issue that Paul is alone uh, in the standpoint that he doesn't have his spiritual team with him. And uh, we know that later on, Aquila and Priscilla are going to join ranks with him. But right now, they're not ready. They, they haven't been discipled. They, they need time. And so uh, God's going to provide that. Uh, as we go through this story. Uh, the thing that I want to talk about today is just this whole issue of spiritual leadership. Paul's a leader, and Paul, uh, as a leader, uh, number one, he needs a team. Leaders need a team. And, and when I'm saying this, I, I want to pull all of us into this theme today because, as I've said many times before, all of us are leaders on some level. Every person is an influencer over someone else. Uh, so when I speak about leadership today, I don't want to uh, put a focus on just uh, you know uh, pastors, teachers, uh, those with leadership gifts. I'm talking about anyone who has leadership influence. Now, Paul stands out because he does have leadership gifts. God's chosen him for this. And what Paul is missing is his team. And when I say that, here's what I'm saying. A team of uh, to those who are spiritual leaders is this, someone who is like-minded. Uh, a leader, a spiritual leader needs somebody who's following, who's like-minded, somebody who's supportive, somebody who's encouraging, somebody who's praying. Uh, if you're a spiritual leader, you would love to have someone who's with you who is a disciple maker. And I, I, I'm saying this because, you know, every one of us knows that if you don't have someone who's following you, who's like-minded, then you're not a leader. You're not leading anyone if someone is not with you, supporting you, and and, and encouraging you, because uh, anybody who thinks they're a leader and doesn't have this kind of person with them, they're, they're misunderstanding what it is to be a leader. It's not about having authority over people. It's about having uh, godly influence over people's lives. So you can be a student and be a great leader over fellow students. You can be uh, a child uh, in, in, you know, in fifth grade or fourth grade and have influence over others, and that can be a good influence or a bad influence. But to have uh, qualities of, of encouragement, of uh, praying for others, of, of uh, understanding that, you know, uh, providing. So his, his team was missing. So really, as he's uh, ministering in the synagogue, and as he has even Aquila and Priscilla, he can only focus on a few people to disciple himself. He needs his team. And how I know that this is important in the text is because of what we read in verse, uh, look down at verse 5. When, when Silas and Timothy had come, so they finally show up. We don't know how long this took place. They come from Macedonia, from, from Berea. And it says, 
at that time, it says, Paul was then compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, as, I, as I read that verse, uh, I'm prone to ask some questions that I don't know if you've ever thought this before, but this stands out to me. Why now? Now, Paul's been in the, in the, in the synagogue already. It says for Sabbaths, so let's just say several weeks at least. And as, as his style has always been, he would have uh, uh, covered all the, uh, all the law, and especially he would have focused more on, on, the, uh, uh, on the foretelling of the Messiah. Uh, that would be how Paul would typically take uh, sections of the Word of God. We went through this two weeks ago. Take sections of the Word of God, and then he would uh, uh, present Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of those prophecies. But evidently, he didn't do that yet. He didn't cover uh, attaching the prophecies to Jesus. Uh, so all these weeks, he's, he's just been not doing that. And, and suddenly, his friends show up, and then the Holy Spirit says, now, uh, tell them about Jesus. And it says something to me about uh, uh, the timing of this. Why, after uh, the arrival of his friends, was he clearly led to speak about Jesus being the Christ? Well, it could be. I have some, some thoughts here. It could be that Paul, and like most of us, uh, gained you know, a, a sense of confidence uh, when others show up, others who are like-minded, others who are supportive, encouraging, praying. You know, just the thought that our friends know our circumstances. When we have friends who care to know what's going on in our life, and they uh, are, are those who, uh, you know, are, are praying for us and encouraging us behind the scenes. Somehow, uh, we learn that we can trust their supportive prayers, and there's something that happens to us. We have a renewal oftentimes of strength and courage when we know we have someone with us who agrees with us, who understands us, who's on the same wavelength that we are spiritually. To have a staff that uh, is sympathetic to uh, you know, uh, each other in terms of our humanness, our weaknesses, our insecurities, uh, and yet uh, they're praying and encouraging one another. That builds such a strong sense of staff. I've seen churches very disconnected, very uh, 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 almost turf-oriented with staff that do not pray for each other. Almost staff who kind of hope the other person fails uh, so they can step into the position or so on. I've actually been a part of that and seen that. That's ugly. That's not how it's supposed to be. But can you imagine the same thing happens in families? Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, one person is drawn to Christ in a more spiritual way. Others are not in the home, and that can be an issue. I can remember years ago uh, when my kids were young, I, I wanted uh, uh, Sunday school teachers and youth leaders uh, to be godly people in their life. I wanted my team of supporters to step up to the plate and be the heroes in my kids' lives. And so we understand how important it is to have a team. Also, the fact that as people are going to come to Christ, and once people hear about Jesus, there's going to be a response. And so even the Lord knows that this team needs to be there to help uh, disciple and encourage, and, and uh, there'll be great strength in that. What, what's interesting that we can sort of uh, understand that this is, uh, this is true of what I'm, what, I'm ex what I'm expressing today because there's some evidence of this. 
in his letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, I want to go back to uh, chapter 1 of Corinthians as Paul is uh, expressing uh, his thoughts and feelings here in chapter 2. And uh, in chapter 2, he starts out by writing to the Corinthian church, And I, brethren, when I came to you, so this is right in the text that we're looking at today, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, uh, let's remember that he just came from Athens. And in Athens, Paul was trying to uh, present uh, the word of God in a palatable way. You know, he's trying to express to uh, deep thinkers and uh, those who are, have philosophical uh, uh, leanings and so on. He's trying to lead them to uh, think open-mindedly. And uh, so he, he didn't uh, uh, go right into the thing about Jesus as much as he wanted to present God as the one God, the creator God, and so on, and the unknown God that they had, uh, for which they had an altar. So uh, in that sense, he was trying to be more logical in his expressions and his truths. But here in Corinth, uh, he just wants to talk about Jesus. After that encounter, he wants to just talk about Jesus. He, he's not going to do that again. Well, as he's doing that, look what it says in verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what he wants to talk about. But we know he hadn't yet started doing that until verse 5 in our other text. So let me continue here in, in uh, Corinthians. He says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Uh, there's, there's an interesting uh, thing about Paul that we learn here that uh, we have this idea that Paul's this confident, secure, strong leader. And here he is revealing to us that, you know, Paul has insecurities. Uh, Paul's a human being, and without his team, I can understand how he would say this. But once his team arrives and the Holy Spirit nudges Paul to go ahead and talk about Jesus, get it out, uh, it's amazing how then with power he begins to express, back here at Acts, he begins to uh, say the truth. And so he's going to preach Jesus. And, uh, uh, and so that, that's a wonderful thing that's going to happen. His strength has been renewed by the presence of his friends and by the, the stirring of the Holy Spirit in, inside of him. I, I, uh, I, I often think about this, and this text brought me to this uh, thought. Uh, recall... Uh, when Daniel the prophet had to go into Nebuchadnezzar in, in Daniel chapter 1, uh, uh, chapter 2. And, and remember that in that sequence of events where uh, Daniel uh, called his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, together. And they prayed together uh, about this issue, and they were asking God to give them clarity and power because their lives were, were uh, at stake in this, and, and so they, they asked God's favor in, in, in allowing them to know the dream and the fulfillment of the dream and so on. And so uh, here's Daniel who then walks from that prayer meeting into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, and he faces this earthly king in the power of the king of all kings. And, and, and again, I just want to say that there's something about this team uh, connection, uh, that by ourselves, we don't have the kind of power we need uh, generally to 
to live a life that is going to accomplish things for God because we need support and we need team. That's why I think the Lord has asked for his church to meet and be together because this idea of team is so critical. Uh, and so I, I want to call all of us today to just evaluate, first of all, our influence and leadership with other people. And is there someone else in your life that you can call together to yourself and say, would you pray with me about this or that? Because we need that. Uh, fact is, it, I think what's, uh, you, you can recall there's been uh, years, we haven't done this ourselves in a while, but uh, there's been a movement uh, in years past where students would meet before school and stand around the flag, or, or they might meet in somebody's home for a, for a prayer meeting. But there were these uh, little prayer cells that were taking place all across the country by students who recognized the need to call on God and give them courage and strength to be faithful. And uh, whoever initiated those prayer cells, I'm sure that certain friends invited other friends, and there were those who came in support. But there are those key leaders who perhaps today aren't doing that. And I just want to say right now, we need cell groups of people who are calling each other up and saying, we need to pray. We need to pray about this event we're going through. We need to pray together about what's going on instead of us all battling this by ourselves in isolation. And you know what? When we do Wednesday night and we have a little prayer session, uh, we, uh, we're, we're trying to pull us together, but I'm telling you uh, the strength of, of our faith is going to be when we pull ourselves with other people. And I think it's time, maybe this week, to call a few people up and say, would you pray with me about this? Uh, instead of giving opinions about how this should happen or how that should happen or, you know, uh, uh, some churches are opening, some churches aren't, and, you know, who are we to stay closed? And instead of going through all of that, I would recommend calling up people and instead of discussing what ought to happen, just pray and ask God to, by his power, do a work in our lives that we need him to do. And maybe he's isolated us for that very thing because we have lost the sense of that. Paul found great strength when his friends showed up, friends who could encourage him. If you're a student in high school, you need friends who are following your leadership, or you need to follow someone else's leadership. And I'm telling you, that's critically important right now. And it, it, uh, it verifies that God's working in someone's life when we see that in their life, and we want to be around them. So make that happen. You'll find God doing great things. And that's what took place here. Now, when Paul did this uh, in the text, I want you to know that there was immediate opposition. You see, up until now, he didn't have any opposition because he hadn't mentioned Jesus yet. <laughs> as soon as you say Jesus, you're going to have a problem. And so in verse 6, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, this crowd immediately recognized where he's going with what he'd been talking about for several Sabbaths. And uh, suddenly they were awakened to the issue. Oh, this is about that Jesus person. Maybe they had already heard some rumors. And so they're, they're opposing him immediately. It says they blasphemed. They, they said cursed things about this name Jesus. So what did he do? He shook his garments and he said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. And from now on, he said, I will go to the Gentiles. He's telling them, I'm not coming back anymore. This is my last time here. See you guys around. I'm going to the Gentiles. And when he says, I am clean, there's a lot behind that statement. 
Now, let me, for, before I even deal with that statement, let me just remind us that even though he's leaving this crowd, it sounds like Paul's angry. He's not angry. If Paul's angry, he's not angry at them. Remember that Paul was just like these guys. Remember that Paul's the one who was fired up uh, with indignation, righteous indignation at what he thought Christians were doing by stripping away uh, Judaism and the law. So he went after Christians. So he understands the mindset here. In fact, if we want to know the heartbeat of Paul about this issue, you've got to read what he says in Romans chapter 9. I'm going to read that to you because we need to make sure we don't lose focus on who uh, stands against us and how we view people who oppose us. Because if you're going to talk about Jesus, you're going to have on your hands someone who's going to reject, not only reject what you say, but they may be uh, adamantly opposed to what you're saying, and they may come at you about what you're saying. So what does Paul say about his fellow Jews? And this is later on when he wrote again to the Romans in this letter. And uh, here's what he had to say in verses 1 through 3. Let me read this to you in chapter 9. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul wants... uh, us to know, and he wanted the Roman uh, saints to know, that uh, any Jews who are standing against Christianity, they are not my enemies. In fact, I love them, and I want deeply for them to know the truth that would set them free. And as I'm thinking about that, I want to apply this to us. Again, that there's this thing about, you know, leaders. Uh, Leaders are not only need a team, but leaders need to have a deep burden for the souls of people. That that must be in a leader's leader's life. A spiritual leader must have a burden. So we just read Paul's. And and I want to ask this question. Who in your life, right now, who in your life brings to your mind great sorrow, uh, a heavy, continual grief in your heart because they either reject the thing of Jesus Christ or they absolutely don't want to hear about Jesus Christ from you. Sometimes relatives, they, 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 they warn you, you know, don't come to my house this Easter or this Christmas or the, whatever this holiday or that birthday party if you're going to talk about Jesus. Now, there are some who stand against us because they, maybe they've learned where we're coming from. And here's Paul reminding us that even though he's been basically uh, rejected, uh, you know, in past experiences, he's had Jews chase him, and he's had Jews go to other cities to find him and still attack him. So he's had to deal with this for a long time. And yet, even with all of that, he wants them to know his deepest passion is for them to find Christ. I, I, I find that attitude to be so difficult for me to discover in my own life. And it goes to the root of the motivations that, that work in my life. So we may be cut off from being able to share Christ with anybody, but listen, we are not unable to carry 
uh, to the throne of grace, uh, those names that can come to our mind. So even right now, as I'm saying this, and I've asked you, are there, is there anyone in your mind? I'm going to pause right now, and I just want to pray and ask that you would just, you know, breathe that prayer of that person to the Lord. And let's, let's pray and ask God to do a miracle in someone's life that you're just, you've been praying for, they're on your list, but they're a heartache to you because they're not responding and they don't want to hear it. Can I just pray for you right now? Lord, as we uh, uh, go through this sermon of just applying uh, to the, the fact of our own life that we are, we are called to follow you, we are called to represent you, and we are called to share Christ with others and to have a burden for others. And I ask right now, oh Lord, that for that person, the name of that person that comes to our mind, who is resistant to us, who we care about, I ask, oh Lord, that you would do a work in their life that is beyond our understanding, that you would powerfully uh, affect uh, a heart that desires you, a heart that yearns to to know more about you, to hear the truths of the gospel somehow. I ask by your power and grace that you would do that work in someone's life and you would uh, favor us, Lord, with that blessing so that we can sit back and just praise you for what you're doing in someone's life. And we know that it's impossible in the human sense, but it is not impossible with you. But you certainly do call us to pray for these dear folks, and so we do that even now. Praying this in Christ's name. Okay, so here's the thing. Paul uh, expresses, uh, you know, his, his love uh, in that sense uh, that we just read in Romans. Uh, now, he said in that, a little phrase in there, he said, I am, I am clean. He said, uh, your blood be on your own heads, I am clean. And I believe Paul was referring to a specific verse. And I want to take you to that just to see again what that means to us. But it's in Ezekiel, and it's in uh, chapter 3. Being a, 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 a Jew, uh, Paul would have had this uh, on his heart, etched on his heart as most Jews should have had. Uh, certainly those who love the Lord uh, would have this etched on their heart. I pray it's etched on our heart. This is not just for Jews only, although the, the text is written to that degree, but it's also for all of us to understand the, uh, the implications of this verse. It's a, it's a sequence of several verses here, but it's in uh, chapter 3 of Ezekiel. And let me start at verse 17. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth. This is God in his all authority saying this, and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked of, from his wicked way to save his life. Uh, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 19, Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, then he shall die in his iniquity, but you have been delivered. You have delivered your soul, he says. You see, when Saul or when Paul is speaking to this crowd, he says, your blood on your own head, guys. Uh, I've given you truth. I am clean, is what he's saying. I've delivered to you what you need to hear. 
And, and as he's saying that, what he's declaring is that he is being a faithful watchman over those Jews who need to hear the gospel. I, uh, I can tell you that how many times I have missed appointments to share Christ. I have dodged sometimes in my own personal life opportunities when I could have witnessed. I think most of us have done that at some point. And obviously, I don't want to drive home a, a pile of guilt on all of us. But there is a point where I want to say spiritual leaders, and going back to the Apostle Paul in our text, uh, he needs a team of people that think like him. He needs to have a burden for lost souls, a, a burden for those who don't know the Lord Jesus, and how critically important that is. And so I just want to say to all of us today as spiritual leaders in our own lives, Lord, help us all today, right now, to be faithful watchmen over those who are placed around us. We must have a burden to speak the truth, the gospel of Jesus. The third thing is this. Leaders, spiritual leaders who follow Jesus Christ, receive. I want to say, that's verses 7 through 18. I'm not going to go through it verse by verse, but I want you to see, I'll, I'll highlight here. But in verse 7, he departed from uh, the, the synagogue, and he uh, entered, it says, the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So right off the bat, uh, Paul has left the synagogue, and uh, Paul is now going to, uh, in the revelation of God's sovereign care over his life, God's sovereign care and provision, Paul is going to receive now from the Lord uh, four affirmations. Uh, it's, it's one thing to say, I, I want to follow Jesus, I want to serve him, I want to be a spiritual influencer, I want to be a, a, a good leader among uh, people around me, and we all should want to do that. And as we do that, sometimes we get ourselves weary and well-doing. Sometimes we, we, just, we aren't sure if people are with us or not. Sometimes I, 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 I can find myself thinking that. It's, that's the fleshly side of me when I get all alone. I'm doing self-analysis on myself, and I'm saying, you blew it here, you blew it there, you weren't faithful here. You let people down here. And so I can be down on myself very quickly as a leader. And so sometimes we need to hear from God to affirm us in the leadership he's given to us with people around us. So he gives uh, immediately in this position. Remember, he, he shared Christ when he was told to do so. So he's being obedient. He does that. His team's back. Uh, he's done so. He's been rejected immediately. Uh, he has to leave the synagogue now. And uh, here we go. Four affirmations to Paul that you've done the right thing. You're in the right place. And so immediately, the first thing he, gets, he receives is affirmation of a place. Uh, and this may not seem large to anyone, but uh, think about this. The house next door to the synagogue uh, instantly became the first church in Corinth. And it's right next to the synagogue. Uh, so it's amazing because anybody can find uh, Paul quickly. There he is. He's in the house of this, this uh, fellow who we are, we are introduced to at this point, Justice. Uh, he's called one who worshiped God. So he's a God-fearer. He was one who was sort of hanging on the peripheral of the synagogue, always listening, wanting to grow. Uh, but he's a Gentile, and he's uh, one who's... Who's, who's wanting to follow God. And so now we don't even know if he's converted yet, but he's certainly in 
in, in harmony with, with Paul, so he allows his house to be used. So there you go. Paul has a place to have church immediately, and it's next door to the synagogue. Can you imagine that? that that's the first affirmation. Uh, and obviously for all of us, uh, uh, sometimes we, we look for affirmations from God. I'm not talking about you know, trying to find a fleece here, uh, some kind of thing, but sometimes we just need to know, am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right place? And uh, sometimes there are physical things that God uses to uh, affirm us, yes, you've stepped in the right direction. Yes, you're going to the right place. And it could be anything. I've had people come to our church to visit, and they have left saying, I found the right place. Well, what did they discover that taught them that? Well, uh, who knows? It was uh, a word that they heard, a song that they heard, uh, a, a handshake that uh, affected them, a smile. Uh, it could be anything. Uh, but the point is that sometimes the Lord uses different things in our lives to affirm that we're on the right direction. The second thing that we see, though, that's a very clear affirmation is what takes place in verse 8. It says uh, in the next verse, then, it says then, so it's almost like it's right immediately, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, all right, pause and check that out, the ruler of the synagogue. This is the synagogue that just chased Paul out. Uh, the ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his household. Oh, wow. Uh, so suddenly the Lord gives an affirmation by the very one who's in charge of the synagogue. That leader is now recognizing Paul as the leader of his life. And obviously the Lord Jesus as the true leader, but he's following someone who's following Jesus. He's going to follow Paul. He's, he's hearing the truth. And he's saying, I, I recognize I've been wrong. Can you imagine admitting that you're, you're the leader of the synagogue and you're saying, I've been wrong all this time? And, in, and, and confessing that and admitting that, you have just resigned because you have no chance to stay. And so there's a lot of ramifications happening in this decision. He, his whole household, so you can imagine even being rejected now by fellow friends in that synagogue, people who looked up to you and followed your leadership and thought you were telling the truth all these, all these years, and suddenly now you've come up short and you're saying, I was wrong, and you're following Jesus. Well, you've just pulled your whole family away from the very core place that you were uh, you know, pledging your life to serve and to be a part of. You imagine what that did to his wife and his family in the social realms of their life. Uh, this was a huge decision. But they're all in because his whole family says, believe. What an affirmation to the Apostle Paul that you did the right thing at the right time, and here's the result. I've given you a place. I've given you a person. You can stake your claim. You know you're doing the right thing. And as a result of that, we have a third affirmation in the same verse. Because it says here, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. This uh, decision by uh, this, uh, this fellow to leave the synagogue, this ruler who's been, uh, I'm sure, admired by many, that uncorked this whole movement of people that uh, pledging themselves to the gospel and following this truth and getting baptized. It was, a, it was a, a great decision by one person that affected many. This is how God works. I, I want to remind us that when, uh, when a good person, a, a person who wants to know truth and wants to hear truth, and, and uh, it, it, any age, doesn't make any difference who you are, but if you have a desire to hear truth and follow truth, 
and you give yourself to that desire to hear truth and follow truth and receive the truth of Christ and the Word of God, you're likely uh, affecting many people around you to the very same thing. Sometimes people are, are just watching and waiting and looking themselves for someone to lead them through that gate. Can you imagine a pastor who has not been preaching the gospel, the true gospel, and there are many pastors today that are not preaching the pure gospel. Can you imagine that pastor one day standing in the pulpit and saying, I have taught you wrongly. I have not uh, declared the truth of the gospel of Jesus, but from this day on, I am telling you, I am going to declare what is true from God's word. And here we go, turn to, and then he's going to present a gospel message. I'm telling you, there are probably people in that church, not everyone is going to be like a synagogue, but there are going to be some people in that church who have been waiting for the pastor to finally open that floodgate. And I think it's true sometimes in homes. I think when one person in a home gives their lives to Christ, it's amazing how that opens the door to other family members. My neighbors, I, I always talk about them, but I watched it happen. And when Bill, the oldest brother, same age as my brother, my older brother, and Barry, his younger brother, same age as me, and we played all through our young lives together. Neighborhood football, neighborhood baseball, we were always together, neighborhood basketball, we were always together, the four of us. And I can tell you that when Bill went to Western University in Michigan, Western Michigan University, and got pulled into a campus crusade meeting by some student. Bill gave his life to Jesus, and when he came home for his first holiday home, uh, he was brimming with a desire to share with his family, who, by the way, they were extremely negative to him. Uh, he thought he was going to lose his family over this. But over time, his younger brother, Barry, went to the same meetings with Bill, gave his life to Jesus. Barry played football for Western. I mean, Barry is a lawyer today down in Texas. He's a successful lawyer. But Bill and Barry both, now two wonderful guys following Jesus, and their parents so admired their sons and were so uh, willing to listen to the truth, and they all came to Christ. You see, one person's influence can have such an impact on everyone else. So, a place, affirmation of a person, affirmation of many believers. And the fourth one is this. It's in verses 9 and 10. Affirmation of the Lord's assurance. Let me read this to you. So in verse uh, 9, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And here's what the Lord said to Paul. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. <laughs> you talk about an audible affirmation from God. I mean, I don't think the Lord's ever spoken to me that directly that way. I wish that could happen sometime. I'm not uh, thinking I'm going to try and make it happen. Uh, you can't make it happen. It's something that uh, is unique. But this is something that obviously, as the Lord was looking in the heart of Paul, he knew Paul needed this. Now, now just remember, okay, Paul has been chased by Jews in synagogues ever since he started. And in, and in this Corinth synagogue, you know, they hadn't chased him. They just rejected what he had to say. But I'm sure that as time went on, can you imagine how irritated the synagogue was next to this thriving, exciting church home? 
And so I'm sure he heard rumors and rumblings of uh, disagreement, dissent, uh, maybe even threats. I'm sure he had some of that going. But God gave him a year and a half of nothing. So it says in verse 11, he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So he's had the blessing of peace for a year and a half. And I'm sure that as he's sort of in the background, had this idea that, you know what, any day these guys are going to take me on. And so here's the Lord breathing in the, in the mind of, of Paul, knowing what Paul's thinking, okay? We, we wonder, why would God say this? Why, why did this come out of, it didn't come out of anywhere. This is not some vacuum statement that God just gives to someone. Uh, this comes from God knowing the heart of Paul and the mind of Paul. So here's the Lord saying, okay, right now you need courage. So do not be afraid. He says, but speak and do not keep silent. That's so important for us to hear. And then he, then he adds to that, I am with you, Paul. Uh, no one will attack you, Paul. And then finally he says, for I have many people in this city. What is he saying? I have future converts that you're going to present the gospel to in the future. And so uh, you're not going to have to worry about those guys next door. Just keep speaking because I've got people to reach yet. So that's what Paul was hearing. You know, uh, it doesn't take a great deal to frighten us out of speaking up for Christ. So, again, you've had and I've had moments where we just bailed out out of fear, wondering what's going to happen, what kind of reaction is going to take place. And so sometimes we are driven by that, and that uh, can keep us silent. Uh, and with Paul's background, you can imagine that he's not been silent uh, when he's commanded to speak. And so uh, he's just being reminded here, and obviously to quell the internal uh, uh, voice that he's hearing about uh, any day I could be in trouble again. I mean, I, I remember that stoning in Lystra. I don't want to go through that again. So, so as he's dealing with all of that, here's God just reading his mind and uh, telling him what he needs to hear. God always speaks to us through his word and through quiet moments with him what we need to hear if we're listening. Uh, can I remind you? that in Acts chapter 5, you don't need to turn uh, there, but I'll give you the context. In Acts chapter 5, later in the chapter, when uh, the disciples are witnessing for Christ, they're arrested. And you recall that uh, as they're arrested, they're, they're placed in jail. And while they're in jail, an angel appears to the disciples. It's in verse 20 when the angel says to them at, at midnight, uh, at some, some point in time, uh, and says, go, uh, stand in the temple, and speak to all the people all the words of this life. <laughs> in other words, uh, you know, you guys, uh, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to release you, and I want you to go right back to do what you were doing that caused you to be arrested. <laughs> and, and, and here's the point of that story and the point of the story we're in right now. Here, here's the thing. Keeping silent is not an option. Keeping silent is almost always a fleshly uh, bailout of what is right to do. If you know, if you feel any guilt about not speaking, you know you just disobeyed the Holy Spirit. And I've done the same thing. Speaking up for Jesus, uh, I think sometimes we think that we have to initiate this you know, deep, profound uh, interaction with somebody. And I want to remind us that 
Uh, it's when God opens doors of opportunity to speak on his behalf. That's the cue for us to speak. I, I don't have to uh, shove the doors open first and then have the courage. Uh, it's the Lord who leads us into situations. It's the Lord who says, uh, go to this person, go to that person, send this card, send this letter, make that phone call. It's the Holy Spirit you know, directing us. And you know, it's interesting that you know, if I want to say what Paul has heard from Jesus, because what he heard from Jesus in those statements uh, here uh, in, in verses 9 and 10, what he's heard from those statements is this, I am with you. And you're not going to hear the affirmation of I am with you until you obey. It's amazing how, you know, the Lord doesn't open doors of opportunity and then tell us before we go through the door, uh, oh, by the way, I am with you. No, he affirms that as we step out by faith and do what we're asked to do. And then he tells us, I'm with you right now. You're okay. Keep going. Keep going. Keep speaking. Don't stop speaking. I'm with you. I'm hearing that for myself. I'm relearning that for myself, even as I go through this text. So you're not alone. We're not alone in this. We're all uh, similar in this issue. I want to hear the Lord's affirmation in my own life. I am with you. Well, to hear that, I need to be obedient. Uh, so then going back to our text, verse 11, Paul's given this year and a half time frame. So a lot's happened. He's been able to disciple all these people. Uh, his team is at work doing that. Uh, by now, year and a half by now, I'm telling you that uh, his two uh, Roman uh, Jews, Aquila and Priscilla, they've been primed and ready. They're, they're doing their thing. They're helping, I'm sure, with this discipleship thing. Verse 12 comes, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a turning uh, of the tide here. Uh, God allows these things, always has reasons. And so it says that when Gallio was pro-council of Achaia, so there's a timing issue here, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Now, it may be that there was no pro-council for a while, or it may be that you know, there was a, a, a handing of the torch to someone else. So Gallio comes along, and it seems as though when he came along, the Jews thought, this is our time. So they, uh, they grab Paul, they take him to the judgment seat, and they accuse. Uh, 13, it says, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. In other words, uh, instead of uh, honoring and worshiping Caesar like everybody else is supposed to do, of course, none of those Jews do. They're just, you know, they act like they are. Uh, but they're accusing the believers of, of uh, exchanging that for worshiping this God. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, which means to defend what was being said, Gallio said to the Jews, if, I were a, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and of your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. So case closed. Uh, Christians are okay. And what I want to convey out of that is here's, here's another part of that affirmation that God had breathed into the ears of Paul. You'll be okay. Keep speaking. Uh, no one's going to you know, attack you. Uh, you're okay. And even after that year and a half, then there is this sort of subtle attack. Uh, it wasn't a physical attack. They obviously were hoping that they could just get, the, uh, get Christians arrested or put, put, uh, put down in some way. Uh, but, but even with this, here's God delivering from the very scene. Uh, Gallio doesn't even want to deal with it. He, he chases them away from the throne. And, and uh, obviously for us, again, there's this sense of uh, the opposition is silenced in our life 
by our trust in the Lord and by being obedient to him. And so if you're worried about reaction, if you're worried about what, what someone's going to do or say if I speak the gospel, uh, we have the Lord saying to us, just speak. Just trust me and speak. And then as we obey him, he says to us quietly, I am with you. <laughs> you know, it's like him saying, I'll give you the words to say. You just be faithful and speak. You just do what you're supposed to do. I'll be with you. Let me sum this up. Leaders need to lead. But all leaders need a team. So, you know, I want to just call you to that even today. Spiritual leaders need to lead. Men, uh, even you ladies, you're leaders over someone else. We all have that influence, but we need the team to lead. If you're not leading someone, uh, there's something wrong in your own life. If you don't have anyone who's wanting to be around you, follow you, uh, hear from you, uh, something's missing. But leaders, again, they're only effective when they have a spiritually supportive cast of helpers. And so I'm going to ask and pray for God in all your homes and families that you have uh, a sense of togetherness in your family. Uh, men, uh, maybe you haven't led your families in a long time spiritually, and now it's time to get back on track and do that. And God's given you grace to do that right now. Uh, this is a great time to change some things in your life and in your home. Uh, maybe you haven't led your uh, step. Maybe you're a... a uh, a commercial person, you, you have a company, maybe you're somebody overcome. Let me ask you something. Are you leading your company spiritually? And that's an important thing. Uh, let me ask you if you're uh, uh, someone who serves others in some kind of capacity. Maybe you do things for people in your, in your life and so on. But are, are you demonstrating spiritual influence as you do that in such a way that it speaks volumes about your faith in Christ? God help each of us to know our place and to stand together. And I want to call all of you who need to follow spiritually someone else because we who are uh, serving, leading, teaching, uh, we who are influencing all of us, uh, to have people around us who want to be with us for the reasons of who we are in Christ as God uses us in that way of influence, that's such a blessing for us and it, it helps uh, uh, keep people and leaders and instructors and influencers on the right path when we have godly people who are with us, encouraging us, praying for us, even sometimes following us, and certainly uh, sometimes even counseling us as we can oftentimes ourselves make mistakes. So there's a great strength there. Leaders need to lead. Secondly, leaders must be burdened, as I said earlier, to speak truth. And I'm talking about not a watered-down gospel, but I'm talking about a genuine gospel in Christ. And there are two things, two important things here as we talk about being burdened to speak the truth. And here's, here's, uh, here's number one. We need to have, first of all, as I said earlier, a heart that is broken for others. That, that's absolutely necessary. Uh, instead of being critical, uh, uh, sometimes we can all get on that kick. Sometimes we can evaluate, scrutinize, criticize, categorize all kinds of people around us and lose uh, the value of being broken uh, in our heart for people. And the second thing that we need to have as burden to speak truth is this. We need to have an understanding that those who are outside of Jesus Christ are owned by Satan and are already in hell. They're consigned already to a place called hell. If I'm going to be truly burdened, I must have 
this sense of brokenness for people that is also fueled by a reality check that people around me who don't know Christ are already lost. They're already claimed. They're already destined for destruction. And Satan wants to keep them there. And so going back to that idea we had earlier about uh, being a watchman, God help us to understand what's behind that, the motive that fuels that. There's a brokenness for people and a concern because we know where they're already at. The third thing to remind us is this. Leaders who faithfully follow Christ will receive, they'll receive God's sovereign care and God's blessing. And you'll see it in all kinds of ways in your own life, and you'll be very thankful because you obeyed him and saw his affirmative hand in your life in some way just to help you and strengthen you when you get that sense of doubt that time of weakness. So this lesson, uh, I think, is for everyone. I think it's a, I, I tried to make it as practical as I can be to remind us that as we watch Paul's life, we're trying to glean a picture from his life, how that applies to our life. And we can see his humanness, his fear, his concerns, uh, his weariness. Uh, and so when a team joins him and the Spirit speaks to him then and he's empowered to say Jesus and speak it out loud, uh, and obviously there's going to be a reaction. God already knew about that, but we see God's hand sovereignly through all of this as God then leads and uh, the brokenness, this burden for truth, and obviously here that the Lord would respond by giving him such affirmations that would encourage him. As we uh, go through this time, I just want to remind you that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I've already kind of said it, but there is a day coming. We call it a day of accounting. It's a day when you have to stand before God. And as God evaluates you and says, I do not know you. And even though some people were told in the word of God, some people will call out and say, Lord, of course you knew me. I did this and that. I went to that church. I, I gave to this. I, and they're going to have all kinds of spiritual reasons why they should be accepted. And God will sadly, not gladly, God's not a glad judge. God is a sad judge that he would have to say, depart from me, I do not know you. But right now, you see, right now is still this time. We call it grace. It's this time extended to us where God wants you to know that he, through giving his son as a sacrifice to die for us. And so when Paul brought up the name of Jesus, even today when we bring the name of Jesus up, some people reject it. Some people don't want to hear that. The other day I was listening to something and I was reminded again, why is it that when people want to curse, why do they say his name? Where does that come from? Have you ever asked yourself that? Maybe there's someone listening and that's something you say. You use his name to uh, make expressions about life and stuff. You go, well, whatever this and that. And you use the name of Jesus to do that. And I want to remind you that that comes from hell. And hell is real, and hell hates the name of Jesus. But we love the name of Jesus because he's changed my life. He's changed most of the lives of people that go to this church. He has infiltrated our lives. His truth has affected us in such a way that we, we can't say anything else but the name of Jesus, who is our hero, our Savior. He gave his life for us. He's the Son of God, gave his life, a perfect life lived without sin, gave his life for us, that we, if we place our faith in him and the fact that he did give his life for us, 
He did die on a cross for us. Did that all on behalf of us because the Bible says every person's a sinner and every person uh, has to pay for the debt of sin. And no person can earn a better position with God. So we're all in trouble if we don't have a Savior. And our Savior is Jesus Christ. And I, in my younger years, asked him into my life to be my Savior. I, I acknowledged what he did for me, asked him into my life. And you can do the same thing even right now. And the world doesn't want you to. The world doesn't want you to hear this. Uh, and you know what? You can go to church for years and have not done that, as I said earlier. There are pastors today preaching the Bible who are not Christians. Like this fellow in the synagogue who knew all of the Old Testament, and yet he was wrong in his deductions until he heard about Jesus. I plead with you to give your life to him. If you're a believer in Christ and you have drifted in some way in your life, there could not be a better time to give your life back to him, to just say, Lord, I've been wrong. I've been in error. I've lived in sin. I, I need to confess. I, I want your blessing back into my life. I want your affirmations that I'm following you in a right way. And you can do that. It's time to do things right because if this ever comes to a halt, what God's going to do with us, uh, how we're going to live our future uh, as Christians, uh, all of that really depends on our personal walk with him today. And I pray you'll make it right with him. Now, would you pray with me and ask God's blessing on this word applied to our life as we uh, depart today? Lord, uh, thank you for your word and the reminder to us uh, from your word of uh, a man who was faithful to you, who loved you, who was called by you, uh, who had his own humanness, in his flesh, he had his fears and his inadequacies, uh, words. Uh, he wanted words to be your words, not his words. He wanted your power over what he was saying in the moment, and you did that for him. People were responding either against you or for you, and that has not changed today. And Lord, I pray you'll help each of us, even though we're alone right now, kind of isolated from the body of Christ, I ask that you'll help each of us to have boldness and courage and readiness to speak and to be asking for doors to open and opportunities to share. And not to kick doors down and make it happen in our way, but to simply yield ourselves and willingly offer ourselves for that moment. And then, Lord, to be obedient when those doors open because we'll know when they do to be faithful to you, and then to be able to hear that still, small voice say, I am with you. <laughs> Lord, I pray you'll help us to have that experience. I pray there'll be testimonies of, uh, of families that were able to share Christ with other family members during this time. Uh, for the, the fearful of the future, Lord, that there'd be comfort and, and answers given by our people to others who are dealing with issues right now. Lord, I pray that there would be a, a response to people who, who need uh, fellowship, who need friendship, who need to know that someone else out there cares or, or knows what they're going through. And I pray you'll spur on our own people to meet their needs and respond. Thank you for those who already are doing that. We give you praise. We thank you for speaking to us today. Lord, uh, uh, we call on you in an hour of need and ask for you to meet our needs today. Fill us with you 
and uh, give us uh, hope for the days ahead. We pray this because of Jesus, the one in whom all of our hope lies, in you and your resurrection power. Work through us, I pray, in Christ's precious, wonderful name. Amen. God bless you, my friends. See you uh, sometime soon.